0: Girlfriends episode number 146. Should we celebrate Halloween? Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week we're talking about celebrating Halloween, whether we should, how we can, if we do, all of the stuff that we moms worry about. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. You know I'm always glad when we can connect here in this way. This morning, I'm coming to you real early in the morning following a wild weekend we had here in the Bean household where we celebrated our 23rd annual Oktoberfest, which started as a small just family event and kind of grew and changed over the years into this epic event that we host every year. Um, We've had close to 100 people in the past um, at some of our largest Oktoberfests, just big families, lots of kids, lots of fun. We carve pumpkins, we have beef stew, grill sausages, plenty of beer drunk by people who are 21 or older, (laughs) and that sort of thing. But you know what? It's funny. This was like my weirdest Oktoberfest ever. And so let me explain. When we started out, the kids were real little like I said and it was just a small family focused event. And they grew over the years, mostly at my husband Dan's insistence cuz Dan um it, well, you'll get to know him. Guess what? Cuz he's going to be coming on the podcast. He has agreed. We've been talking about this for months, right? You guys and me. Um, That we want to get Dan on the podcast. But uh, I have gotten him to, for the first time ever, agree to come on the podcast. And I hope you'll get to know him a little bit. So in the, I don't know, probably it'll happen in the next two months where I'll be able to sit him down and actually interview him about some things. What I actually plan to do is talk to him about discipline because he is the disciplinarian in our household. And that's been a topic that people have been asking me. um, The parenting question people want me to take up on the podcast is about proper discipline at various ages. Anyway, I got off on that tangent. What I was going to say is Dan is an over-the-top kind of person. Um, Not so much, well, okay, yes, with his personality, but with the things that he always wanted to do, he always wanted bigger, better, more, just something exciting at Oktoberfest. And so we've done some wild things and um, always trying to make the party bigger and better. And so it's, over the years, become this huge thing that would take a lot of time, a lot of my energy. And it was hard to pull off during those years where our kids were all really small. You know, we had eight kids under the age of 12 at one point. And those were the tough years for um, pulling off this event. But those were really the fun years, the chaotic years, the crazy years. So anyway, at this weekend's Oktoberfest, I had a moment where I was just standing talking with my mom. Just the fact that I was standing there talking with my mom should tell you something because in previous years, Oktoberfest's I never had a moment to stand and talk to anybody. <laughs> it was like, I remember my some of my moms and some of my sisters who would make the trip. Uh, well, not really complaining because, of course, they understood, but saying, you know what? I hardly got to talk to you. And it was because I was just so preoccupied with so many things and my own kids' needs and other little kids. We had so many small children here. But at this weekend's Oktoberfest, we had some small children. Um, but for the most part, everything was calm and quiet. I mean, we had, you know, 60 people here, but it was just everything was just so controlled in a way that, you know, I you would think would be a relief for me, but I was not comfortable with it. It felt weird. I felt a little bit sad about it. I felt like where's the chaos because that is an essential element of our Oktoberfest celebrations here in the Bean household. And um anyway, I kind of struggled with that a little bit. And I I think that that's kind of a normal part of like our family life is changing. Our kids are older. Um, All of our kids were home from school. We brought them all home for this one weekend rather than Thanksgiving because uh, airline tickets were so expensive over Thanksgiving break. And this just made more sense. It was more spaced out between, you know, the beginning of the semester and Christmas break. Anyway, it was really wonderful to have everybody home, and they brought friends with them from college. So we had a full house, and there was some level of chaos, and yet it felt different. We, the only pumpkins that got carved were by big kids. I mean, I don't—well, okay, maybe there's one child who actually carved a pumpkin with an older kid. And it's, it's good, it's all good. And yet it feels a little bit sad and it feels like a loss. And that's because it is. It's hard for things to change. And I was talking with my mom over to the, about it over the weekend. And, you know, my mom has certainly experienced this, raising nine of her own, then having sort of an in-between phase. And then the chaos of grandchildren came and she told me, you know what, you're, don't worry, <laughs> plenty of chaos lies ahead. You're in the in-between stage and try to enjoy that. Um So anyway, that's where I am. But I wanted to talk about Oktoberfest because this is a question that I want to take up on the podcast is whether or not we should celebrate Halloween. This is a question that I get from moms a lot of the time. And for sure, years ago, when um, our oldest daughter was one and we celebrated our first annual October Fest celebration, that was part of our motivation that we just were like, you know what? I'm not all that comfortable with the whole Halloween thing. Let's celebrate fall in a way that's fun and carve pumpkins and have the candy and whatever without having to feel like... It's all gore and, and yuckiness and some of that other ugly, ugly stuff that kind of seeps into Halloween celebrations in our secular culture. Um, So you know that was part of our motivation, but for sure it wasn't our only motivation. We really just wanted to do a family-friendly kind of party, and we love the fall. And we live in New England, where the fall is so beautiful, and it's a great excuse to have a nice party. So, um, but this is a question that I hear a lot, and I, I've heard it debated in in um, in not-so-nice ways sometimes online. I don't know if that's still going on, maybe on someone's Facebook page somewhere this year, Um, but I I intend to skip that debate. But, um, you know, I think it's possible... <laughs> to it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. You don't have to dive headfirst into demonic costumes and rituals, or you don't have to skip it altogether and just, you know, dress your kids up like angels and celebrate All Saints Day, which is a great thing to do. So um, I just thought, since this question has come to me, that I will answer it just by sharing some of what we've done over the years. But first of all, I want to make a little bit of a defense of celebrating Halloween. So Everybody knows, right, that it's All Hallows' Eve. It's the eve of All Saints' Day, which is a feast day in our church, which is a holy day, right? So, you know, there's nothing wrong, of course, with celebrating All Saints' Day. But then it's how do you observe the day before and what's appropriate. And I'm not going to, like, spell out this is right and this is wrong. But um, I do think it's appropriate to recognize All Hallows' Eve. I do think it's appropriate to recognize the the existence of evil in a way that we can make the celebration of All Saints Day and celebrate the triumph of good over evil in an appropriate way inside of our church. So, you know, some of us moms, and I've certainly been there, are uncomfortable with the idea of Halloween. It feels yucky. It feels dark. It feels icky, uh, for sure. Some of the gross costumes and the props that, oh my gosh, the props that some people set up in their neighborhood... (laughs) I mean, it's terrible, and you know, I will. I'll never forget one year when we did take our kids trick or treating. There was some grown person in a really creepy, horrible-looking costume, who, and I say grown person, it probably was a teenage boy, but this was a large person. Okay, I didn't, I couldn't see their face because they were wearing this gross costume. Um, who was really enjoying like creeping people out by going up and and standing way too close to them and stuff, and. Uh, I was really uncomfortable with that. Not that I thought this was demonic activity, but I thought this could be somebody with ill intentions toward me, toward my kids, you know, and and Halloween certainly opens up opportunities for that. So I am 100% supporting you. If you just want to skip trick-or-treating altogether, go for it. I mean, uh, it's not a necessary part of anything Um, because there's just, there is too much room for that. But if you like to do it and you have a place where you feel comfortable doing it, I'm all for that too. But, um... I do want to make a defense for the the idea that celebrating Halloween isn't an anti-Catholic thing and that in fact I think it can be a really helpful thing to um our own understanding of our faith and our children's understanding of our faith, right? Um because you know when we skip over Halloween and skip over that whole thing, you know I think about the fact that I've heard it said before that one of Satan's greatest victories one of his greatest triumphs is when he succeeds in convincing us that he does not exist so if we just want to skip over the evil and you know because we're not comfortable with it you know but i i think a properly celebrated halloween whatever that looks like for you um you know even with scary costumes even with some you know dark imagery in an appropriate way puts evil right before our eyes in a way that it does exist because it does And it's harmful to ourselves and to our kids to pretend that it doesn't. But we don't celebrate Satanism. You know, we're not going to be like devil worshiping for Halloween. But the typical Halloween props of ghosts and witches and spiders and spooky things and skeletons. You know, St. Francis kept a skull on his desk, right? Didn't he do that? Wasn't he the saint that did that? Yeah. So a reminder of our death is a very Catholic idea. And that's what Halloween does. They're appropriate props appropriate manifestations of the evil that we fear right but there's something really catholic about taking that evil which is real which exists which is powerful which is scary which we're uncomfortable with taking it and kind of turning it into a plaything, because turning it into a child's thing because the evil is real, but so is our triumph, our ultimate triumph over evil in Christ. And I think that there's a real Catholic message that we can find there. We can laugh at evil. We can laugh at Satan because we know Christ. And yes, perhaps your children aren't going to completely grasp all of that when they go trick-or-treating, when they put on their, you know, Raggedy Ann costume and go trick-or-treating. But that's the concept behind it that has made me over the years actually comfortable with the idea of embracing some form of recognizing or celebrating Halloween, right? We, you know that verse in um, Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? To me, Halloween is exactly that, mocking Satan, recognizing the presence of evil, the real the real existence of evil, the real existence of Satan, and yet saying, hey, guess what? We win. We won. (laughs) Christ reigns. Um, So anyway, that's my little bit of a defense of celebrating Halloween in some kind of way. Now, of course, we talked about the gory props. We talked about the scary costumes. We talked about being scared when you're out trick-or-treating. Avoid those things. Um, And, oh, don't even get me started on the whole sexy costume thing. I cannot believe... (laughs) That you know, name a costume for a female and you will find a sexy version of it. Like sexy hello kitty. (laughs) Sexy nurse, of course, and sexy cop and sexy dog or whatever. It's unbelievable that people have taken this opportunity. And to me, that's that's a real manifestation of the evil in our in our culture that this is what we've turned it into. So yeah. Um, you know, what? make your own costume. Uh, I'm not a big fan of spending thousands of dollars on costumes. And oh, I cannot believe I I should have looked it up to share the statistics with you. But it's unbelievable the amount of money that Americans spend on Halloween. And you know, in preparation for our Oktoberfest a couple of weeks ago, I was in a Walmart walking through the Halloween sections for, you know, decorations, whatever. And it's it's crazy to me. I think it grows every year. And perhaps you've seen this. Um, just the amount of merchandise, the costumes, the whatever junk that gets produced and bought in celebration of Halloween. I mean, I feel like that's so over the top. So, I mean, making your own costumes can be a ton of fun. And um, for sure, we've done some of that. I grew up going trick-or-treating but never with gross costumes. And we were encouraged to make our own costumes. And that was something that I really enjoyed. Um, And of course, different kids will have different preferences and personalities. But um, some of your more creative kids might really enjoy that challenge of figuring out and putting together your own costume. I know some of my kids over the years have spent a lot of time doing that. And it's a great fun exercise for them. And um, so I'll never forget the year, though. I had the idea. So of course I was an eighties kid, right? So during the uh, Rubik's cube craze, I decided that I think I was like in sixth or seventh grade. I was almost like on that tipping point of like, am I too old for this? But I still was embracing the idea of putting together a costume and going trick or treating. And I decided I would be a Rubik's cube for Halloween. (laughs) And um, I, I envisioned this costume being, you know, fantastical and, so i got like cardboard box and made it into you know some version of uh, a lopsided <laughs> rubik's cube that i could wear and painted it and put the you know the lines on it and the little the separations and the different colors and um but I was so excited about that costume and so, like, so intent on it. I have such happy memories of putting it together. But I do also do remember going out trick-or-treating that night and uh, so many people said, what are you, a brick wall? <laughs> so I'm not sure quite pulled off the effect I was looking for. But... That you know that said it was a fun project. So if your kids are all are inclined to make their own costumes, let them do it. Let them go for it. Buy them some cheap props or uh, cheap accessories at the, in, that, in that Walmart section, um, and, and let them go for it. Let them have some fun. It's a great opportunity to do that. Um, so you know don't avoid it for that reason. Um, so if you do want to do that for sure, go trick or treating or some other options that we've done in the past. There was one year. Um, where I think it was this is crazy but we live in New Hampshire there was a blizzard and there was like a foot of snow on the ground and trick or treating just didn't seem like a good idea and a lot of towns even cancelled it that year and um, so that year we stayed home like I went and got the Halloween candy, which ultimately is what it's all about, right? Getting the candy. And um, we had like a little party at our house and Dan and I and some of the older kids each set up places in the house where we each had a bowl of candy and our kids had their costumes on. And I think a couple of their friends were with us too. And they just like went to the different stations in the house and went trick or treating. They probably went through like six times and got a bag full of candy. Um, a little bit lame maybe <laughs> compared to actually trick or treating. But that was what we did that year and it was fine nobody was scarred for life about it and they all got their candy and they had their costumes um so i think it's important when we're talking about these things like to know there's not one right way to do it and if you're not doing it the way your friend did if you're not over the top with this i don't know and and part of it too is going to be your own experience growing up um so you could have a party with with friends over as well um one really fun thing to do is do a little research online because there's a million of these like fun little recipes to make cute kind of scary things um for food for, you know, hors d'oeuvres or whatever at a, a Halloween party. And do that if you're having friends over or if you're getting together with friends um, and and having that kind of fun, quote unquote, scary food where it's like zombie teeth, but it's actually like nuts stuck in an apple or um, uh, the cutest one, oh my gosh, you, you got to look this one up, is um hot dog mummies. Where it's so easy too. You take like crescent roll dough out of the can and slice it up and then you kind of wrap up hot dogs with it and you bake it and it looks like a mummy. It's super cute. Uh, so anyway, I really recommend the hot dog mummies. Um, But you know, stuff like that is just just plain fun to do. And you can do that on your own with your family. Or you can do it with, you know, invite some people over, invite some friends over. We've certainly done that in the past. There was one year, and I have no idea why this ended up happening, when um, we went to the movies. There was like Transylvania showing. And we didn't really want to or didn't have a place where we felt comfortable trick-or-treating. We live out in the country, so we got to shop around to find a place to go trick-or-treating and make it worth anybody's while. Um, but so we... We just went out to the movies (laughs) that night and saw Transylvania, you know, the kids movie that's Halloween themed. And that was a ton of fun. Um, Or uh, my daughter this year is going to a trunk or treat event at one of her friend's um, churches. And that's that's fun, too. Like if you have that kind of option and you'd rather do that than go trick or treating. So for those who don't know, trunk or treating means like everybody kind of sets up in a parking lot. Um, So it takes multiple people. It needs to be organized. And you set up your kind of trick-or-treating station out of the trunk of your car. And people go around in the parking lot to the different cars and trick-or-treat that way. So that's kind of a contained way to do it. But there are tons of ways like that if you're going to celebrate Halloween. But... We haven't even talked yet about All Saints Day. And this is the thing that some people do skip over Halloween and just celebrate All Saints. And I'm not going to tell you that's a bad thing, but I already made my defense of Halloween (laughs) for those who want to do that. Um, And All Saints Day can be so fun to celebrate with your kids. And um, we for sure have done this over the years where we will go trick-or-treating on Halloween and then attend an All Saints party either at our church or with our homeschool group or something the next day. And you can even make costumes that readily adapt to both so you're not exhausting yourself. But I really always found it fun to celebrate All Saints Day and encourage my kids, especially as they got a little bit older, to research and pick what saint they wanted to be. Um, So they were, you know, in a sneaky way, learning about the lives of the saints, learning about their Catholic faith, um, being inspired by some of these amazing people who've gone before us. And um, they can be fun costumes, too, and they don't have to be hard. I I always joked around when we were doing it that all saints costumes are easy. You just put on a robe and like wrap a rope around your waist. You can be any saint you want to be. <laughs> and that's kind of true. It's pretty easy. Um, But you know, some of them are, are more uh dramatic than others. I know one time we went to an all saints party and there was a family who had mostly boys and they had all shown up with, is it called, you know, where the, where their head is, the monk's head is shaved like in a ring. Tonsure, I think is what it's called. Um, So they, they actually shaved their boys' heads like that. <laughs> so, you know, pretty impressive. Um, and, you know, you can you can have your kids pick their, their you know, their name saint um, so they could learn a little bit more about that or a saint that they particularly like. The girls always like to be um, St. Elizabeth of Hungary because she was a queen and they get to wear a crown. Um, but there's also, each kid is encouraged to know which saint they are and kind of make a little bit of a presentation to the group so that everybody learns which saints are represented there and learns a little bit more about them. Um, So really just a fun way for families to get together and celebrate what truly is a feast day, which is All Saints Day, and remember all the saints in heaven and remind ourselves to be praying to them um, and thanking God for the gift of the communion of saints. So I think that's a great opportunity. Oh, yeah. One saint costume you want, you might want to consider. And my son, Stephen, was the one who did this a few years ago. Where, um, many years ago. He was little, I guess. He was really into, you know, the gory stuff, as boys will be. And he really loved the idea of fake blood. Um, And he found out this existed and, you know, begged me to buy some and then and then figured out his costume. And, well, really providential. His name was St. Stephen. St. Stephen was martyred, the first martyr, stoned to death. So we just needed to put the robe and the rope on him and uh, give him a rock. And he put the fake blood on his head and the fake blood on the rock. And there he was, St. Stephen. So, you know, it's kind of a fun way to learn more about your faith, but also... Enjoy some of those fun, goofy things that kids are going to get into this time of year. Um, So for sure, having some form of an All Saints party is definitely, definitely a a helpful way to, I think, celebrate. Um, You know, whether it's a party with your friends or you're just celebrating together as a family or... Um, but you know what? This this whole thing, I, I remember back when I was blogging regularly and these big heated debates would come up kind of seasonally. And the Halloween debate was the one that we would just get out of control every year. There were people who are anti-Halloween, people who are like crazy pro-Halloween and you've got to do it. And between that and the Santa Wars, it was like, okay. Okay, Catholic mamas, <laughs> everybody take a seat. <laughs> Gets out of control. And, and you know, we, we fight about these things and we feel strongly about these things because we care so much. And we want, especially when we're younger, because I feel like I don't struggle with this nearly so much anymore. Um, we want to know that we're doing the right things. And sometimes in our immaturity, we want to... Prove that we're right and our way is the one right way to do things To as a way of kind of reassuring ourselves that we're doing it right. Because we care so much about our family lives and, and doing it properly and raising our kids in the faith. So anyway, these Halloween wars would come up periodically. And like I said, I don't feel like there is at all one right way. If you want to do Halloween, go for it. If you want to not do Halloween, go for it. Um, You know, figure out what makes sense for you and what you enjoy, what your family will enjoy and um, celebrate in a way that feels appropriate for you or skip it altogether if that feels appropriate. But anyway, in these wars, I always would, I I probably published it like eight different times now. I, I would publish my littlest Danny this picture of him when one year we got him um a Captain America costume and he was three years old so this was like in a size 3T and I mean he was like the most adorable little Captain America it fit him just right but he was so into it that like he would do these little moves with his arms and he felt amazing in that costume um I loved it. And this picture is so cute and so hilarious that I would, I would publish it every year on my blog and say (laughs) that it was, it was my defense of celebrating Halloween was a Captain America costume in a size three T. The fact that this exists and it's adorable and it's fun. Let's just, let's just not get too serious here. Okay. Um, anyway, so if you can find one of those costumes, I really recommend putting it on a toddler in your life because it's so cute, so fun. But Anyway, I hope that answers people's questions. <laughs> maybe not because I was kind of all over the map. But, um, you know, with regard to celebrating Halloween. But, I, you know, the, the, the point is, give it some thought. Yeah, for sure these things matter. And, um, you know, decide together with your husband how you want to raise your kids. And, and maybe it's going to change from one year to the next. And I was very surprised last year. We skipped it all together we didn't do a special All Saints celebration except we went to Mass. Um, and we didn't celebrate Halloween because, again, New Hampshire had this freak storm. It was like a blizzard without any snow. It was like a nor'easter. Our first of the season happened like right before Halloween. And we didn't even have power in our house. And just everything was chaos. And I, I kept promising the kids, you know, we'll we'll definitely do something. Um, but it's going to be after we get our power back. And when the power came back on, it was like a, a day after Halloween or something. And Nobody cared. But of course, my youngest Danny made sure we got some of the discount candy, and that was all he cared about. And that feels a little weird, right? That nobody cares about that. But <laughs> at the same time, everybody's happy. So figure out what's going to work for you and for your family and what level of comfort you have with the different ways of celebrating. But um, just know for sure there is no one right way to do or not do Halloween or to do or not do All Saints Day for sure. Okay, now we're in the segment of the show where I want to share with you um, for these few weeks here with the new release of my newest book, You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission and Worth. Last week, I shared with you a little bit about the perspective of Bathsheba with the story of King David. And um, that was one of the women that I look at in the book. But another one of the women that I look at inside of You Are Enough from the Old Testament is Rahab. In fact, she's the first woman that I take up inside of the book looking at her story. And um, what I really think comes out in the story of Rahab, which is in the book of Joshua, is the idea that We are all called. God calls all of us. And we tend to make excuses. We tend to put obstacles between us and God and our calling, sometimes because we don't feel worthy, sometimes because we know our own sin and our weakness, the ways in which we're flawed, and we think, God cannot possibly use me for his work. And yet, inside of the story of Rahab, which is in the book of Joshua, we find a story of a woman who God uses for his purposes— And he calls her to a great mission with great dignity, despite the fact that she's a prostitute. I mean, she is, she's referred to as a harlot. Okay. So anyway, in the book, I'll just briefly go through the story here. Um, Joshua is the king and um, he sends two men, two of his men as spies into the land of Jericho to scope it out to possibly attack. And Rahab is an inhabitant of Jericho and um, the, the israelites are not her people and their god is not her god but she knows about their god she's heard the stories of the parting of the red sea and she believes she wants to she wants that for herself she wants that faith for herself and so inside of this story these these spies come and stay with rahab the prostitute and you know what let's just back up for a minute here you know we hear prostitute and you know we're thinking whatever we're thinking. And um, yeah, for sure, that's true. You know, she's referred to as a harlot. That meant she offered sexual services in return for payment, which of course, you know, even you know, the Ten Commandments teach us the gravity of sexual sin. Um, but we know, as women, that nobody chooses that way of life if they have other reasonable options. So we already know that Rahab, because this is how she's living... Is, is living in a, a world that's not good for her. In a way that's not good for her, she's hurting herself in the choices that she's making. But we don't know the reasons for which she's making these choices. That maybe she was married to a bad man who abused her. Maybe she was raised in a, uh, a household where she wasn't well cared for. Maybe she had no father of her own. Maybe, who knows, you know, a thousand different things, but she's got to be suffering and that's why i believe she's looking and seeking for this god that she's heard about the israelites god and this one true god that she wants to believe in so when these spies come to her and um the king of jericho receives word that these spies are in town he and that they're staying with rahab he sends for rahab and says to her you know tell me where they are tell me where they went and so we can get them and she covers for them she lies she lies. Now, some people struggle with this. They're like, how can that be God's work? Well, God did not tell her to lie, but she is lying in in her attempt to help what she believes are the people of God. And in exchange for her services, she asked that the men would protect her and her family. And this is, this is to me the most amazing part of this story. And they agree that she and her family will be spared. And they tell her, they give her a scarlet cord to hang out her window so they'll know the place to spare in the case of an attack. And she does that. And so the scarlet cord, in a way, is representing what happened at the Passover, right? The marks of blood that, you know, the the angel of, of the Lord who was going out and killing all the firstborn that terrible night passed over the households that were marked with blood. And Rahab's household was passed over um, in the attack because it was marked with this scarlet cord, which represents blood. And of course, in the Passover, that blood is representing something else. What's that? Of course, the blood of Christ. Jesus's saving power, the blood of the Lamb of God. Amazing that all these years before that Rahab was used in um, God's plans in, in this service to God and, and played such a significant role that later in the genealogy of Christ, her name is mentioned, this prostitute, this otherwise nobody in, in this culture. God saw her, God knew her, and despite her life of sinfulness, despite her own weaknesses and failures and the labels she might have been tempted to put on herself, the fact that she was seeking the one true God, he knew that and he responded to it in a personal way and gave her this dignified role to play. And he calls us too. We may not be prostitutes, but we're all mired in our own sins and our own weaknesses and our own flaws. And God calls us inside of those. Not just that he doesn't see them. Of course, he sees them and he knows them and he grieves over them. But because he knows the dignity that we have in our calling, in the mission, the unique mission that he has for each of us, our unique identity as daughters of God. He sees that worthiness, despite the fact that we would put other things in the way. We'd put labels like sinner, loser, failure, whatever we would put on ourselves to keep ourselves from God's love and to feel unworthy of God's love. And yet, He sees us in that and He loves us anyway. He sees our true identity, who we are, and the dignity and worth that we have inside of that mission that He calls us to. And each of us has a unique mission. You know, Rahab had her unique role to play, but so do you and so do I. And um, that's part of what uh, I try to drive home as a theme inside of You Are Enough, which are those two things, your mission and your worth. And, and they're two vitally important things that I think so many times in our culture today, sadly, we women are missing. We're missing our worth our worthiness, who we are, our identity. We are so confused. You know, it was so sad to me in the news recently watching, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings and various other protests going on. These women who are obviously hurting, obviously confused in who they are, craziness that's going on. And all because they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're worth. They don't know their worthiness and their dignity in their identity as daughters of of God. And so that that piece is missing but then also the mission the idea that God calls you sometimes we think okay yes I'm a daughter of God and you know blah 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 all that I know it but do we really let ourselves know it and then do we inside of that respond to his call the whatever it is he's calling you to the mission he has for you in your life it may not have anything to do with hiding spies but Um, He has a unique mission for you and it's in love and service to the people that he places in your life and whatever it is he's calling you to. Sometimes we want to run away from our calling because it feels too scary or too big or we think we're, we're too messed up to be able to do it properly, especially inside of family life. That can be a tempting thing. We can be afraid of it because it feels so big and it feels so important and how on earth can I possibly do this right? And yet he calls us anyway. And it's his grace that makes up for where we're lacking inside of that. So, so important to see that inside the story of Rahab in the book of Joshua, the fact that God sees her when her culture would have been rejecting her at the time. She was a nobody. She was worse than a nobody. She was a sinner nobody. And yet God saw her and he saw her longing for connection with him, her longing to believe in the one true God and know him. And he sought her out for a unique role in salvation history because of that. And we can read her story today because of that. So you have worthiness and dignity in the eyes of God. Knowing your identity in God's perspective is so vitally important. And then the next step is finding out your mission and responding to it. And I I really truly believe that that story of Rahab is a, a powerful way for us to consider that. That the ways in which we might, in even if our life circumstances aren't quite like hers, that we might feel that way in our own mission, in our own calling, that we can't be worthy, that we're too sinful, we're too messed up. And um, God's calling you outside of that. He's calling you out of that. So that's just one of the many different stories that I look at inside of You Are Enough, what the Bible teaches you about your mission and worth. Newly released from Ascension, you can go to ascensionpress.com, click on shop, and it'll be right there for you. Um, You can also buy it from Amazon. It's available there. And it's still the number one new release in Catholicism on Amazon. I'm so happy and pleased to see that because I know the book is getting out to people. So thank you for all the different ways you've been encouraging me and supporting me at the release of this book. And I look forward to our continued conversations in the weeks to come. And as always, I want to take a moment to thank Ascension for partnering with me to produce this podcast for you week after week. One thing that you will find at AscensionPress.com is not just the Girlfriends podcast, but lots of podcasts. And one I want to mention in particular is Abiding Together, which is hosted by Sister Miriam James Heidland. Michelle Benzinger and Heather Kim. These ladies are so awesome to listen to and so inspiring in the topics that they take up. They talk about faith from a real life perspective, but just from a feminine perspective. And I so value and appreciate that. So I know you will too. And if you go to their show notes at ascensionpress.com, click on Abiding Together under podcasts, you'll see that for each of their shows, they offer you um, discussion questions and journal questions. And um, recently when I was going through and I saw that, I thought this is an amazing thing. Like imagine we've talked, um, you know, even just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking with um, Allison Gingras about forming a women's group and the importance of getting together with other women and sharing about these things that really matter. Here's an easy, no brainer way to do it. How about listen to the podcast and get together with girlfriends and go through these discussion questions once a week Beautiful way to connect and share about your faith, or even just do it on your own. So many people are looking for a study. I hear from people all the time who enjoy doing Momnipotent on their own with friends or in their parish on an official way, and they're always looking for like, okay, what's the next thing, you know? Um, and I don't have a next thing that's quite like Momnipotent in its all expansiveness, um, but there are these little things that we can we can use these tools that we can use and. Ultimately, it doesn't take very much. It, it just takes a little bit of time focused on um, something, you know, that might provoke some um, thoughtful discussion, uh, whether it's reflecting on your own or, or sharing with friends. And um, I find that Abiding Together is a great podcast for doing that. And they provide you with those tools. So why not take advantage of it? You can check it all out at ascensionpress.com. And I also wanted to mention another little project that I've been working on. It feels a little crazy, um, but I've really felt just compelled to work on it in um, recent days. And I've learned to just go with these promptings, <laughs> as long as they're for good things, um, because they they turn out to be something that, that God has planned for me to do, whether it's what I planned or not. But I've been working on a little bit of an Advent program, Um, some Advent reflections put together. And um, this would be for an in-person event. I'm going to promote it just a little bit in the coming weeks, and then it's going to be Advent. So God will do with it what he will. But if you're interested in possibly having me come speak to your group, um, I think altogether it's going to be about a two-hour presentation that I'm putting together. Some reflections for Advent. So if you're looking for something for your women's group, for um, your parish, or something in your community, um, for sure you'll want to check out what I've put together for an Advent program. You can get that information at daniellebean.com forward slash advent. You can just add your information there and get more information about it, but also I'm just sharing some of the basics there as well. You know I would love to come out and meet you. The other options that I have available are my You Are Worth It retreat. I'm also working on a new up-and-coming You Are Enough retreat to offer to parishes and women's groups, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you in the new year. Um, And also just coming to speak. I've got a few different places lined up for the next few months where I'm going to be speaking at various conferences. I'm always happy to consider doing that. If you're interested in finding out more information about the retreat, you can go to daniellebean.com forward slash retreat. Or if just inviting me to come speak to your group, you can do daniellebean.com forward slash speaking. You know I would love to come out and meet you. It's always some of the most joyful times of my ministry. Okay. And now lastly, I just want to get to a little bit of um, feedback. I did receive a question from listener Melissa recently. And Melissa wrote me a little note and said, I saw your Instagram post a while back in which you mentioned your boys play Fortnite. Now I've been serious about not permitting my kids to play it but I respect you as a Catholic mom and wife and I'm interested in your view of that and how you make decisions on what media to allow in your home thank you and God bless Melissa well thank you for that Melissa and I appreciate your question um uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge <laughs> my answer just a little bit here because. There is no one right way, okay? I I, I don't want to set out a prescription. So the answer I'm going to share with you isn't my prescription for all families because every kid is different. Every family dynamic is different. Every parent is different. People have different needs and you know your kids best. So if you're standing by your decision to not allow Fortnite in your home, I support you 100%. Um, The reason we do allow it is because I mostly do consider it harmless. And um, we do allow it in controlled circumstances that said this summer we were pretty lax about allowing our boys to play Fortnite. the big boys were home that was something they enjoyed doing together and um it was something that probably happened pretty much almost every day um but we did set limits on the time that they were allowed to do it um but with the start of the school year i really felt like okay we need to get a handle on this thing because especially early on when a boy is first starting and you know, some kids are more vulnerable to this than others, but, um, and I'm saying boys uh, for sure. Some girls are way into video games. I have not had a girl like that. Um, but if, you know, so this applies to girls too. Um, but for, in my experience, it's mostly been boys who are kind of vulnerable to this drug of video games. And, you know, first of all, I want to encourage parents that when you're making these decisions, know that you have that authority 100%, you are allowed to make decisions about what you will and will not allow in your home and as part of your family life. I think sometimes the culture pressures us and um, you know, maybe Melissa, you' you're, you read my post and you're like, oh my gosh, it's everybody. I' I'm, I'm just being dumb. No. No, you are allowed to make those decisions in your home and you are allowed to to decide what's best for your kids on your own. And it might change over time. For sure, we have done that. We have done things where we're like, absolutely not. And the funniest example of this is SpongeBob, where I just when that first became popular, my kids were small. I just didn't like the look of the cartoon. I never even really watched it. And I was like, that is obnoxious and vulgar, and I just don't want it in my home. So we just, like, outlawed SpongeBob. Um, But then, you know, one of my sons, Stephen, despite it being outlawed, you know, SpongeBob, I I guess he's still popular, but it was, like, really popular back then. It was on everything like there were toys and games. And, and he told his grandpa that it was his favorite TV show, even though he had never watched it. And so his grandpa, every birthday, Christmas, whatever, would bring him something Spongebob related, Spongebob pajamas, Spongebob board games, you know, Spongebob storybooks. And it was crazy. And, um, but anyway, at some point we ended up watching like an episode or two and, I actually found it really funny and Spongebob kind of endearing. Um, he's a super cute, loyal, innocent friend. Um, and there's something charming about that. So anyway, we, we relaxed our rules about SpongeBob, which, you know, really were based on my own distaste, my own initial impression of the cartoon. And I fully support you if you still ban SpongeBob. Um, but that's one funny example of a way that we kind of changed over the years with regard to what we would and would not allow. And I think it's important to know that your, your family life changes, your kids change, um, your perspective changes, and, and your rules might change. Um, but that said, know that you do have that authority. I don't care how many people on your block and in your kid's classroom or whatever are doing it? Uh, it. You still have that authority. And if you decide it's something you don't want your kids involved in, um, you know, look at it. Experience it a little bit. Maybe you have um, another mom whose son plays it. Maybe you can go and see exactly what it is that these kids are engaged in. Um, for me, the the game isn't like violent and gross in the way some other games are. and um, and And then just the other end of it is... So I don't have a problem on that end, but the other end of it is just deciding what kind of influence do I, do I want to allow this thing to have in my children's life? And, it, you know, to a certain extent, it can be harmless. But then once it reaches a point where they're like obsessed with it or angry when you tell them to get off of the thing, um, you know, then you're, you're reaching a problem. And I for sure have experienced that over the years with my boys with video games. And that's always my wake up call, like ah, time to ring this thing in. And um, even though we weren't having those kinds of issues this summer, I was aware that this was a bit much. And um, so going into the school year was the perfect time to really curtail that and say this is going to be a weekend's thing um, or a, a special occasion thing. Um, and not all day, every day over the weekend either, but just we're going to focus on schoolwork. And in the evenings, you know, on weekdays, if, if you are done with all of your schoolwork, then you're going to read a book That's or or play a game with, with one of your siblings or, you know, sit down and talk with mom and dad. That These are, are healthy things for you to be engaged in. So finding that kind of balance. I think it can be tricky. But, you know, know this, Melissa, you have absolutely the right and authority to make those decisions in your home and don't feel pressured by outside influences. You know, if you and your husband together prayerfully, thoughtfully, carefully decide this is not something we want in our kids' lives, they're going to be fine. They don't need Fortnite. <laughs> Nobody needs Fortnite, no matter what your kids might be telling you. they don't need it., um, but I will tell you that it I think it is possible to allow some of these things in your home and under, you know, regulated circumstances, under supervision, and um, also they're going to be okay. Um, but maybe other people have some thoughts to share about Fortnite in particular because it is such, such an influential thing in our culture, especially with a certain um, age group of boys in particular, I've found. Um, But how do you handle it in your home? I'd love to hear from other people's perspectives. You can email me, Danielle, at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is in the show notes of every episode of the Girlfriends Podcast, which are all available at ascensionpress.com. So you can go there and connect with me or connect with me on social media. I'm Danielle Bean on all the different social medias. You can find me. Let me know how you you handle Fortnite and other kinds of things in your home and I'd love to add your perspective your opinion your voice to a future episode of Girlfriends. And that's all the time we have for today. But I want to thank you for joining me for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. To keep the connections going, let's connect on Facebook. We have a Girlfriends Only Facebook group. It's a private group available on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Girlfriends Podcast. Put in a request to join. And um, that's just a place where we can connect about the topics we're sharing about on the podcast. Also, you can make your suggestions for future topics, ask questions, ask questions. You don't even have to talk to me. You can talk to each other. And that's been going on a little bit. And I'm thrilled to see it because I think if you're listening to the Girlfriends Podcast, you guys have stuff in common. So it's wonderful for you to be able to connect with each other and share thoughts and ideas through the Girlfriends Podcast Facebook page. So it's a closed group. Know that. Um, And what that means is you can be a member of it and other people that you're friends with on Facebook, friends, family, whatever, they can't see what you post on there unless they also are a member of the group. So it is a private way maybe to, to you know, if, if you're looking for um, Catholic girlfriends and you don't have a lot of that in your life, or maybe some of your family is hostile toward that. We've had some people share some family situations going on. We've had people make some prayer requests. For sure, all of that's fair game there, and we're happy to have you do that. It's a safe place for us to connect together as girlfriends. But thank you for being here. Thank you for the time that we spend together here on the podcast. It means so much to me. It's so encouraging to me to know that you're out there and you're listening to what I share and offering feedback in various ways. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a member of the Girlfriends community. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation.